Welcome to the Strong Enough Podcast, your relationship wellness podcast. I'm your host, Claudia. Today's guest is going to share with us how his daughter's illness and hospitalization led him to a diagnosis of his own of PTSD. It then inspired him to start his own podcast as a way to cope and heal. Please help me in welcoming Tim by Seagull. Tim, thank you so much for joining me here today. It is great to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I am admiring your background. I see a lot of fun things back there. Real quick, tell me what, what's your favorite Funko Pop you got going on back there? All right. So it's one of two. Um, so I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'm a massive nerd. Um, I admit that freely and openly. I, I wear it as a badge of honor these days. Uh, so for me, it's anything Star Wars related. But my two favorite Funko Pops, one is um, uh, the concept art of uh, what, what should have or what could have been Luke Skywalker in the beginning. Originally, it was going to be called Luke Starkiller. And so I have a Luke Starkiller Funko Pop. And that's really very cool. Um, and then that name got reused years later in a Star Wars video game called The Force Unleashed, where the main protagonist's name in the in the game is Starkiller. So it's just kind of cool. So I kind of come back around. Uh, and then the other one, uh, one of my favorite characters from the Star Wars Clone Wars TV uh, animated TV series was Captain Rex. And um, and then that character also came into Star Wars Rebels. And there's Old Man Rex. You know, with the shaved head and the beard and, you know, and I have, I just found Old Man Rex. Um, like, I literally just got it a few days ago and I'm still kind of giggle about it uh, that I have it back over there. But yeah, so those are, those are my, my two favorites. I could see your face light up when you said that. <laughs> so that was super cool. So now that we know you're a big Star Wars fan and yep. a little bit of a nerd at heart, a proud nerd, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, let's see. I'm uh, 44. I'll be 45 next month. Um, married for 23 years. I have three beautiful children uh, who all act far too much like me, which is a problem for their mother. Not so much for me, but for their mother. Um, and I have, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been doing podcasting now for just about two years. And I have, so I have three shows. And I really, I, I got into podcasting as a way to help myself try and, and, and deal with some of my own mental health, health issues that I was dealing with and some, some issues. And we can get into more detail about that if you want um, uh, after my daughter's lengthy hospitalization. There were reasons why I should have been in counseling before that, but I had kind of ignored them all as um, us really intelligent men tend to do. Um, but I got into podcasting for that reason. And then it turned, went from talking to people about their stories and hearing their stories and, and just being impressed by, you know, some what some people have gone through and, and the ways that they've, you know, rose to the challenge of life and pretty much telling life to kiss their butt and move on. And I, I just love that, that they that they've really moved up to that challenge. That, that to me is really cool. Uh, I went from that to, uh, I had a friend who had a, uh, a Facebook group. And when I joined, it was about 30,000 members. We have 160,000 members in the group now. 
and it's rapidly growing. And so we said, well, you know what? These guys love sci-fi content. Let's give them a podcast. And so we do that now. And we're, uh, we'll be releasing our 54th episode of that podcast. That doesn't count all the live shows and, and, and mm-hmm. bonus episodes and things like that. I don't count those as episodes, although uh, other sources do. So we're up to 91 there. Um, but uh, so we're, yeah, we'll be having technically our, our 100th episode coming up here shortly. But we, episode 54 releases this week. I'm very excited about that. And then I just started a new podcast where we talk about everything pop culture related. And so, uh, because there was only so many ways I could shoehorn people into sci-fi topics, you know, (laughs) I wanted to, but I found myself having to say no to people. Like, you know, I, I couldn't, they didn't have a, and I don't want to call it a tragic backstory, but you know, everybody's got a backstory, but just some people have had to work harder with their backstory, you know? And some folks didn't have a backstory that was would lean themselves into going into my first show, uh, which is called Focused on Forward. And then I couldn't fit them into funny science fiction because trust me, I tried. Uh, and then, <laughs> so uh, one of my co-hosts on funny science fiction, and I, we've been friends for a long time. And she and I said, well, you know what? We have really good on-screen chemistry. We think so anyway. And we we play well off each other. I always say that she's the little sister I never, I never wanted. And, <laughs> you know, I'm the little, I'm the big brother that she never wanted either. So, uh, but yeah, uh, so we went out and started a new show called Pop Culture Addicts, which has been nice because it gave us the opportunity to talk to people in all these different lanes. And, you know, like I've talked to, we, we, the episode we released today was with a young lady named April Rose Gabarelli, who's, um, her song right now is number 24 on the Billboard charts. And so she's got a really cool song and she, that's not her only song, but she's got a lot of cool music and we had an opportunity to talk with her and, and that was cool. And, and I've got episodes coming up where we've talked with, uh, Stephen Perkins, the drummer from Jane's addiction, which was (laughs) awesome. Uh, I'm a child of the nineties, big grunge fan. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so to talk to somebody who made music that was making the music of my teenage years, awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we, so we got to talk with him and, and those are conversations I wouldn't have been able to have on the other two shows. And so I'm very, very excited about that. But uh, yeah, and just, I'm a, like I said, a big nerd. I love science fiction. I love superheroes. I I love, but I'm also boring. I love being, just staying home with my family and, and hanging out, watching TV, uh, you know, playing video games with my kids. Um, you know, we have two dogs. We've got a, a pit bull and a corgi. Um uh, cause we decided to go with opposite day on when we got the second dog, we have short and low to the ground, a you know, a dust mop, let's get something tall and hyper. All right. So, <coughs> excuse me. I love that because I, well, first off, corgis are adorable. They're just so cute, but I totally relate because, uh, I have two Pekingese dogs now, okay. which are also little fluff balls, but. When I got the first one, I had an English Mastiff. So, yeah. Yeah. So we had one 220 pound (laughs) dog and then one like 14 pound dog. You hope that the big dog didn't step on it anytime. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And they they got along um, actually better than the two same size dogs do. That's funny. Now, well, (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about your podcast because I love the juxtaposition that you have going on, like with the the serious focused on forward. And then you've also developed some, some podcasts that are a little 
more lighthearted. So talk to me about the focus on forward and what drove you to do that in relation to your own mental health. Yeah. So um, in 2019, my daughter was hospitalized for 97 days. And throughout that 97 days, uh, 95 of those days, I stayed at the hospital. 97 of the days, my wife did. So there was only two days at the hospital because we have two other children. Um, And my boys were old enough at that point where they could pretty much take care of themselves. But I was also worried that my house was going to turn into like Lord of the Flies uh, without some appropriate adult supervision. And if you don't get the the Lord of the Flies reference, please go back and read the book. You're missing out on a classic piece of American literature. Um, So anyway... Uh, my daughter spent 97 days in the hospital. 33 of those were in the ICU. Uh, we nearly lost her twice. She came down with a, a condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which we thought she had the flu going in. So we took, we took her to the hospital so that we could get her an IV. You know, we thought she was just really dehydrated. Um, we were admitted to the hospital that night. And we didn't leave for, like I said, 97 days later, we were out of the hospital. And it was kind of a a massive kick to the head to realize that your daughter was as sick as she was because, you know, instantly there's this wave of guilt that comes over you because my daughter had been complaining for a couple days, uh, but it was also springtime in Michigan. And in springtime in Michigan, you have warm day, cold mornings followed by really warm afternoons and and the weather's all kind of all over the place. One day it's rainy and muggy and cold, you know, and then or rainy and cold. And the next day it's warm and muggy. And it it does one hell of a number on your sinuses. It really does. Um, so she was complaining about a little bit of a sore throat and sinus, you know, stuff. And and I was like, well, you know, honey, it's it's you're just you're fine. It's it's seasonal. You'll be okay. And there's a strong potential that some of it was allergies because I have fall and spring allergies. Um, my boys have allergies as well. I'm like, well, this might be another gift that dad has given you. Uh, so, you know, we, we really thought it was that. And she was having some uh, leg pain. We thought she was going through growth spurts because we're, none of us are short. I'm six foot three. My one son is six foot three. My other son's six foot five. Uh, my wife's five foot, almost five foot nine, you know, um, and she was going through quite a growth, growth spurt at the moment. My wife had just taken her shopping, bought a whole bunch of new clothes for her. So we really thought that that's what this was. It wasn't. We didn't know that. But so it's not that we were doing something wrong. We didn't know that we were doing something wrong because it hadn't presented itself as anything other than a possible cold or head cold or flu that would be typical for that time of year. Uh, but when we knew it was more serious is when she could no longer hold food and water down. And when all of a sudden she was complaining that she had leg pain, she went from having leg pains to, I can't stand on my legs. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we took her to the children's hospital in Grand Rapids, uh, which is called DeVos Children's Hospital, which by the way, if you're in Michigan and you need a children's hospital, Please go to DeVos. They're incredibly wonderful, beautiful people. Um, amazing, amazing children's hospital. Anyway, enough about that. Oh, not enough about that, but you know what I mean. Anyway, uh, so we spent, like I said, uh, 97 days. And when you're going from a point of being a parent who, who 
as a parent, you take care of everything for your child. You know, you, you do all these different things. Even at 12 years old, there's, there's things that you do for your child because you're the parent, right? Well, when you're in the hospital with a child, you're the parent, but you're not doing the things. And that becomes very hard to accept after a little while, especially when uh, Guy and Beret really started to kick in. Because uh, through the throughout the first week of the hospital, which we thought we were only going to be there for a week, maybe two, that's what the original prognosis was. Um, they said, you know, let's we'll get you in here. We're going to get you some medicines. You'll be home in two weeks tops. All right. Well, it's a two-week detour. Okay, we can live with this. You know, it wasn't ideal, but we thought, you know. Uh, but then the then the the uh, disease really kind of kicked in, and we went from some motor uh, skill and function issues like, you know, the grasping of hands and moving fingers and uh, being able to hold a spoon or write with a pen or something to not being able to do that, to losing function of her hands, to losing feeling in her arms and legs. And uh, ended up, she ended up being paralyzed from the neck down. Um, she has recovered from that. She's, she's walking and talking and doing all those things now. Uh, Guy and Beret can do this for um uh, you know, either an extended period of time or, or an intermittent period of time. So we were fortunate that even though it was 97 days, it wasn't, you know, it's not something that's not a thing that we'll have to deal with continuously. Uh, but she had to learn how to walk. She had to learn how to, you know, do all these motor skill things again. She had um, uh, a couple of different issues that caused us to have to go back to the ICU. So that 33 days was in different stents. There was like, we were there seven days the first time, 11, 12 the second time, and then whatever the math is to, you know, do the rest on the other one. Um, but she had to have an emergency lung puncture to remove uh, fluid from her. And I say fluid, it looked more like split pea soup, mm-hmm. that really thick green kind of almost like just pure mucus. It was mm-hmm. disgusting but almost two liters of fluid from her lungs. And we went, you know, when you watch your child go through this and, you know, that's hard enough, but when you're watching her go through all these things and you almost lose your child twice, it really does a number on you uh, emotionally and and mentally. And, you know, because especially as a father, and I'm saying this from a father's perspective, you know, as a father, you want to be, I'm, you know, I'm the, I'm the father, I'm the protector of my family. And, and I felt like, you know, even though I knew that it wasn't something that I could control, I still felt like I had failed my family. Like I had let my, you know, however this came about, I didn't do something enough uh, to prevent that from happening. So when we came out of the hospital, um, my head was an absolute bag of cats. I, you know, I, I had, faced all these issues with my daughter and her health. And, and um, I realized that there was a, a legitimate, genuine issue here that I had to have addressed when we decided we were going to buy uh, gifts for the nurses in, in the ICU. Because, and I've said this on every time I've told this story, and I will, I will probably say it every time I, until the day I die, ICU nurses and doctors are not paid nearly enough. Uh, I don't care what they're being paid double it, triple it, they deserve way so much more, especially in settings where uh, it's a a pediatrics or neonatal. 
to the things that they that they see on a day-to-day basis, the things that they deal with on a day-to-day basis, I wish I could give every one of them a hug. They're, they are amazing people. They have a fortitude about them that I simply don't have. I could not do their job. I know that. And, you know, thank God that, that, that they can. But we decided we wanted to get them a gift. And, you know, we had noticed that they all drink out of these little cute little cups with the straws and these little mm-hmm. tumbler things. And so we ordered a whole lot of them. You know, we, we, we went through and we tried to remember everybody's names and we're like, all right, throw 10 extra on the order just in case. Uh, and we just went around the, you know, we, our intention was to go back to the hospital because she had her, her first visit with, with one of her re, uh, rehabilitation doctors and we were right in town. So she was like, well, while we're there, can we go deliver these gifts? I'm like, yeah, it'll be great. No problem. So we pulled up and then I couldn't go in the hospital. I sat down on the, the little roundabout in there where the, you know, on this bench on the outside of the hospital and bawled my eyes out. I, I didn't understand why. I mean, I locked up. I, I could not move. I physically could not. I had a panic attack outside the hospital. You know, come to find out, you know, my doctor, not my doctor, my counselor tells me that, that that's a form of PTSD uh, due to hospitalization and, and emotional trauma, it, which was hard for me to wrap my head around because, you know, I, you know, I kept saying, well, I didn't, you know, it wasn't me that all these things happened. It was my daughter. You know, but you don't really realize it as a parent that you're going through all these things and you're the one that's that's helping there, trying to be the the emotional support and the the mental support and and all these other things. And and so that affects you and impacts you uh, very greatly. Um, so that was, you know, that was kind of a, an eye opening experience for me that that something is wrong and I, I need to go get this looked at. So I started going to counseling and that she, she helped me to identify that. My counselor is awesome. Uh, matter of fact, met with her today, uh, <laughs> kind of re-upping, uh, trying to, you know, topping back, topping off the fluids, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a car analogy for you. Um, but anyway, uh, she had suggested that I, I start like a journal or something. And I laughed because I'm not a writer. And I was like, that's not going to happen. Um, like I tried blogging back in the day, but that was so inconsistent. It wasn't mm-hmm. even funny. It's still out there. I think possible. I don't know. I haven't looked at, I'm going to have to look for that later today. See if it's still a thing out there. Um, but anyway, uh, so she said, well, you know, what about, a uh, you know, record yourself on video, just, you know, expressing your feelings. I'm like, you mean like a video blog? She's like, well, she's like, well, you can call it that if you want. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to sit there and just talk to myself. That's not going to happen. She's like, well, we got to figure out some way for you to express your emotions and, and get some of these things out of you. And I went, mm, well, we haven't found it yet, but we'll, we'll circle back. So later on that night, I, or not that night, I don't know if it was that night or upcoming, but I was talking to one of my friends who's also a podcaster, by the way. Um, if you're interested in finding a really good podcast, please go check out the Curiosity Hour podcast. It's hosted by my buddy Tommy and his pal Dan. And I won't even try Dan's last name because I mercilessly slaughter it every single time. Is it more the difficult Tom- than yours? Oh, it makes mine look like a walk in the park. <laughs> but uh, Tommy and Dan have a, an amazing show, the Curiosity Hour podcast. And Tommy said, well, why don't you start a podcast and, and talk about you know, what's going on? I said, like, nobody wants to sit there and listen to me, you know, whine and bellyache for, you know, an hour every week about why I've got it so bad. 
He says, well, don't make it about you. Make it about other people. Talk to them about their stories and what they're doing. And and where it's fitting, you can interject. And this is what I've been through. And, and you guys can talk together. And I went, well, I could do that. Yeah, that I, that I could do. And, and so that's how Focused on Forward started. So I, I sat down, uh, like many podcasters did, and I understand still do. When your first episode, you... Uh, you don't really understand uh, sometimes all the things that are, go into making a, a podcast, you know, look good, sound good, and be appealing and all these things. Um, I used my iPhone and open mic, just, you know, talked into it. Um, hey, we all got to start somewhere, right? Exactly. Uh, and so I recorded a little trailer, open mic, and my buddy listened to it. He goes, it's not bad, but, you know, you, you need a microphone. And I went, oh, yeah, I've got one of those. He says, okay, good. Use that next time. So I used uh, on my episode, right? I did an intro episode. It's about 20 minutes long. The very first episode of Focused on Forward is talking about not in, in really any depth because I don't think at that point I was prepared or, or equipped to be able to talk about what we had gone through in depth. Uh, but then I was, you know, doing the hold the microphone of the, you know, the iPhone uh, earbuds up to your mouth. And that, was, that was your microphone? That, that was my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't specify, um, in my defense, he didn't specify which one. I love so, it. All I heard was microphone. I'm like, I got an I, inline I got microphone. One. Yeah, yeah it's, it's inline right on my headphones. It'll be great. <laughs> um, you know, but it, so it's kind of funny, you know, I, I go back and I listen to those first couple episodes and they, you know, they always say, you know, hey, you should, don't be ashamed of your first couple episodes. I'm not, but I also look back and go, man, I learned so much from those first couple. Um, so I, I started, I started off with my first couple episodes and I found that for me, that, that this was a, uh, I, I call it the cheapest form of therapy I've ever had. Um, because I got to talk with people who are, are just crushing it in life. They, they, you know, they've gone through things where you know, uh, lesser people would have been crushed by life. And these guys are just, I, I draw so much power and inspiration from the stories that, that they've imparted and the, the things that they've gone through. And I've talked with people who, my very first episode was with my good friend, Michelle, who uh, lost her son at two years of age. I think he was two. I hope I'm, I'm, I'd have to go back and listen for sure. But uh, he was very young, somewhere mm -hmm. between two and three, I believe. And uh, she, she tells, you know, it's a very heartbreaking story of, of everything that she went through with him and, and his health challenges and struggles. And, um, you know, and, you know, I learned the importance of not talking over my guests and giving them, you know, opportunity just to, to tell their story without me going, well, hey, yeah, you know, um, uh, and I, and I, I, I found that when you sit back and you listen to some of the stories that other people go through, you don't have to go through the exact same thing that they've gone through to find something in their story that's helpful. And so focused on forward is, is a, a audio only podcast. I'd used to do some live shows with it and I, and I might come back around to those, but for right now it's um, it's on a hiatus right now, to be honest with you. Uh, I just, with with starting with with some of the health challenges my daughter was having and starting up a third podcast, I was like, you know, what? we're going to take a little break from focused on forward. So I just like last week uh, was my 
uh, season two finale. I'm going to start it back the first of the year uh, of 2022. And uh, I've already got my guests lined up and I'm starting to get that ready and get that back so we can start cooking with that show again. But I found that that you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to have the same exact story. And I found that there were people who had gone through all these sometimes horrific things in life but they i ask you know and i'll I'll tell you this part i i ask every guest the same two questions Uh, i've done this for two seasons i don't think i'll probably change for season three i might i might i might throw in a a third question i'm i'm debating that right now but one of the things that i love about the show is at the end of the show after they've talked because we don't just focus on what they've gone through we thought we focus on forward how they how they're moving forward so yeah we talk about what they've gone through but at a certain point you know i ask them i said okay well where's the point where you became focused on forward how did you move forward and then we start turning the corner and talking about all the things that they're doing to help themselves keep going every day and that's the part of the show that i love because i mean there's some really powerful stories but then at the end there's the two questions that come in and i love this too because i ask the same two questions and they are uh, looking back on the entirety of your journey, what's the greatest lesson that you've learned? And so there's a lot of truth that comes out in that little question, because sometimes it's a very simple answer and they have a one word answer. Or sometimes it's, you know, just a couple of words, but that's a very powerful question because they're, they're, it helps people to see, you know, not just to, uh, that there's a culmination to the story that they've been listening to for the last 30, 40, 50 minutes, whatever it may have been. But, there's something for that that person has used to help them to move forward. And that's the nugget that I want people to really kind of hang on to and hold on to. And the second question, which is pretty similar is, you know, uh, what's the greatest piece of advice that you've been given? And I love that question because, you know, I, I have a piece of, I have a piece of advice that I, and if you listen to the show, you'll, you'll hear me repeat it often. And, and if you're one of my children, I'll apologize again, because I use it at home all the time and I'm sure they're sick to death of hearing it. But I always like to say, it doesn't matter how you fall. It matters that you get up. And, and I think that's true in so many forms of life. You know, life is going to do what it can to knock us down each and every day. We're, we're pummeled by life in one way or another. So we're going to fall, but do we lay there and in and, and the dirt and just go, well, I can't get up. I can't do anything. Life kicked me down. Or do we find a way around it? And we find a way to pick ourselves up and we find a way to p- get, get ourselves back moving again. And so I like hearing the advice that people give in that portion of the show, because, you know, uh, there, there's a, well, I don't have it. Well, I do have it right here. <laughs> this is my notebook. Um, and on this notebook, uh, that is full of pieces of advice that I have written down from other people and, and notes that I have taken about, the, you know, uh, interactions with them. And, you know, there's a lot of times if, you know, and it's a good thing that it's an audio only show because most of the time people would only see the top of my head because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here writing, you know, furiously scribbling away. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, and that's where I think, Oh, between live shows and pre-recorded episodes, I want to say we're in the high 80s on, on, for that show. So, but it's been nice. It's It's been a, a very helpful and and uh, growth-encouraging uh, atmosphere for me because I've, I've been able to take different aspects of what people have gone through and their stories. And there's been times where I've, you know, and 
I listen to my own shows, not just not just for like, oh, hey, I've got a word whisker here. I need to cut off. Um, but sometimes I listen to my own shows because there's been people where I've interviewed where I've had to listen to their story two and three times to get every little nugget out of there because they've, they've you know, people's stories aren't typically just one layer. You know, and they've got all these different things going on, right? And so uh, I'll go back and I'll listen two and three times to do just so I could, like, yep, I missed that point last time. That's a good. That's a good note. All right, we're going to try that. You know, so I find it helpful. I really connected with so much of what you just said, even from talking about your first episode. And how you told a little bit of your own story, because that's exactly what I did with my first episode and realized how difficult it was, first off, just to talk to nobody. That was really hard. And I remember the first time I recorded it, you know, I felt great. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've said so much. Like, this has been so hard. And it was like 14 minutes long. And I said, okay, I guess I got to do this again and actually tell the story Mm -hmm. you said you weren't super ready you know initially to kind of tell the whole story but how was that for you even just the the 20-25 minutes of sharing everything that you had been through in such a short amount of time with your family um well so the so I had a very similar experience to what you just said I I did an episode (laughs) And I, I'm used to getting up in front of people and talking. I have no problem getting, you know, and, and I, I can talk just about anything. Usually you give me a topic and I, you know, point me in the right direction. I'll talk. It was weird. It really was. Um, I, I, I felt super uncomfortable. I was very nervous in, in sharing it. And I think the first time I, I, I recorded it and I played it back, you know, because I was going to edit it and I was going to post it that night. And, you know, this is really good. I think I was at um, nine minutes and I was like, I skipped so much. There's like cliff notes and then there was Tim notes Mm -hmm. Uh, and the Tim notes was apparently the nine minute version. And that had to be refreshed because there was so many things that I left out there. There were parts of the story where you could not make a logical leap from where I had started to where I had gotten to and, and how I'd even gotten there. And so I went back through. And I decided I was going to make a little bit of an outline. So I made an outline uh, just so I had some some talking points so that if I got nervous, I wouldn't, you know, space out and I would have a way to direct myself through. So I did that. And that was actually very helpful because now I think I ended up somewhere at 21 to 23 minutes, somewhere in there. Um, but I also realized that I never wanted to do a podcast where it was just me talking because that wasn't going to be a thing. Uh <laughs> I'm, I think I'm far better where I have somebody that I can talk to, um, you know, even if it's in, in small format uh, issues. Um, but when I told the, the, the more, the, 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 the wider version of the story at the 20 something minute story, um, I sat down to listen to it and I cried. It, you know, it, it was one thing to have it all written down. And for me to see it up on there on the wall with all my notes and on all that stuff, it was a whole nother thing for me to listen back to it and to hear my own voice expressing my own feelings. That was, that was difficult for me. Um, and so I sat on that, I think for about two weeks, maybe three 
before I actually posted it because I knew that I had to get it out there because I had interviews lined up and I, and I wanted to have that out there as a introduction to, to me and my story as to why I was even sitting there talking to other people and what they had gone through. I didn't, you know, there, I wanted there to be context is what it comes down to. You know, I, I felt in order to validate my podcast and for people to listen, be, you know, to listen to it and feel that there, there was worth to it, that they had to be something to give context to why it was important for them to listen to my show. Um, so yeah, it took me a couple of weeks to get it back out, but eventually I did, but that's probably the only episode that I actually don't go back and listen to. Um, mainly cause you know, it was still pretty fresh in my mind. Um, I mean, we, we got out of the hospital in, in July of 2019 and I actually don't think I posted that until February or March of 2020, um, you know, right before the, the good old shutdown. And, uh, but yeah, I, we were still dealing with some things that were very fresh from coming from the hospital. I was just getting into counseling. I had pushed it back and pushed it off and pushed it off so much uh, up until right about the, the turn of the year where I was like, okay, fine, I'll talk to somebody. Um, and, and mainly because um, I knew that, you know, that it was late fall when we, when the issue at the hospital happened. Um, but I pushed it off and went like, yeah, yeah, okay. I just got to work through that. You know, uh, and I've said this before on, on, you know, at other times, but one of the things I used to say is, you know, to my kids when they were growing up was suck it up. You're a hockey player. Um, none of us were hockey players. I don't know why I said that, but we're big hockey fans. <laughs> but, you know, because uh, the premise behind the, that, though, was that, you know, a hockey player, when he gets hurt, you know, he, he sucks it up. He's, he's out for his next shift. I mean, there's guys who get their teeth knocked out and they're, they're out skating 40 seconds, minute and a half later on their next shift. They're not missing a shift. There's guys who have broken hands. They, you know, they, they just tape the crap out of the hand. They're back out there the next shift doing what they got to do. They might miss a shift, you know, but that's about it. And so, you know, we always kind of joke around about that. They, you know, hey, suck it up. You're a hockey player, you know? And so I kept telling myself that, that, you know, just suck it up. You're a hockey player. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll be all right. Um, you know, and, and I just kind of minimalized everything that had happened and, the, the, what really pushed me into saying that I need to do something was the fact that I knew that I had this issue. I didn't know what was causing it or what was causing that reaction. But every time there was something even hospital related, I would, I would freeze up. And that's a problem when your daughter has a chronic illness. Uh, <laughs> that's a big mm-hmm. problem. Um, I could go now. I could go to my uh, daughter's doctor's office because that was not at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Even though I saw this man every day for 90 some odd days, you know, he was there every morning, checked in on Kendall, you know, everything. Yeah, I had no problem seeing him and talking to him because it was at a different location. And I, I don't, you know, I still don't quite understand everything, you know, how the brain works and why it worked that way, but it did. Um, but the other issue was that I had a, a reoccurring nightmare. One of the nights where we almost lost my daughter. And I saw that every single night when I went to bed for three months. 
I didn't, I, I was, I was deprived of sleep for about three months because I was trying to do all these different things. And I was getting maybe an hour or two a night of sleep. You know, I'd pass out at my, my desk right here in my chair, just, you know, because just dead tired. And, you know, it eventually got to the point where between lack of sleep and other mental health issues and things, that's why I went. Because I, I, I was at the point where I was, I was sitting at my desk and I would just break out in tears. Because you, when your body is so just done, and my body was done, I was mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever else, stretched out, thinned out, I was done. Um, I needed to find a way to work past it so that I, I, you know, I still have the nightmare every now and then. I don't think that that's probably ever going to go away, but it's not every night and I'll take that. So, but I had to get to a point where I could get past that. So. How difficult was it for you to accept being told that you had PTSD? Because I think a lot of us do think about that as, well, that's something that soldiers have, or that's something that people who have been brutally assaulted have. So, was that difficult for you to accept for yourself? Yeah, because I'm not a soldier. I'm not a police officer. I um, have never been the victim of an assault or things along those lines, you know, um, and when my, my counselor told me that it was, you know, uh, hospitalization PTSD, I'm like, I'm like, does that mean I'm a bigger wimp? Cause I can't be in a hospital, you know? And honestly, that's where my brain went was that, you know, I must, I must be a special kind of wimp because I can't even go to a hospital. <laughs> and she's like, no, it doesn't mean you're a wimp. It just means that your, your brain is having a hard time processing this you've gone helping me to understand that that there are different levels and different types of trauma you know because in my mind um you know ptsd was only for you know veterans of war and to not take anything away from from those fine people who have gone and done what they've done and then you know you know they've and i always felt like they've earned that you know, they've earned the right to say, I have, PT- I have PTSD. I was like, I was in a hospital. They were in a war zone, fearing for their life every single day. You know, whether they were in the shower or they were sleeping or whatever, they, they were fearing for their lives. They were in a heightened sense of awareness the entire time they were in that war zone. I was in a hospital. And so for me, the, the two just didn't seem to, to line up, you know. And so it was, it was pretty difficult for me to wrap my head around it at first. I, I do remember laughing at her saying, I don't have PTSD. That's like, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking, where does this lady get her stuff from? <laughs> uh, apparently she's very well-educated and, and knows a lot more than me. So, uh, <laughs> And you kept going back. I kept going back. Uh, because although I didn't agree with her at first, we were, we were talking, the thing is we, there were so many layers there and so many things for us to unpack. You know, she was trying to not take on everything at once, but uh, you know, a lot of times when, when somebody's done and they're, they're maxed out, uh, I call it the snowblower effect. It's just, everything's just, you know, it's all going out. There's, there's no stopping it. Uh, you know, it's so good luck catching it all. Cause here it comes. And, uh, you know, she 
she did really good. Um, I think trying to navigate the uh, the muddy waters that I was throwing at her feet, but she was doing really good with it. So, uh, so although I didn't agree with her at first about the PTSD thing, um, you know, the more we talked about it, the more it started to make sense with me. Uh, because she, you know, she she helped me to see that there's there's different types of trauma, and I think that was with the kind of the turning point for me is that, you know, in my opinion, there's there was trauma. And then there was just crap that people went through, you know, and me not understanding that crap that people went through can also be trauma. And so that's where I, you know, that was part of the education of Tim was that Tim had to learn that, that there is, there's different types of trauma and that trauma affects people differently in different, very different ways. And so, but yeah, um, to not think you have PTSD and then being told you, you do have PTSD can can be a, a little bit of an eye-opener. Did you ever struggle with how you were feeling and then looking at your wife, your kids, and that maybe they weren't feeling the same? Um, well, yes and no. Uh, because my wife and I were going through some very similar things. We went, we went into counseling at almost, well, not at the same time. She went in a couple of weeks before me and she started telling me all the things that she liked about this counselor and the things that, that she was learning from this counselor. And, and uh, my daughter was going to her as well. And, and my daughter was telling me some of the things that she was liking. And um, so it wasn't so much that, that I, um, didn't feel like we were on the same plane or, or that I didn't feel like we were experiencing the same things. It's, I felt awkward because I felt like, like I, again, you know, it's, it's the, it's the sense of, of failure that, okay. So I had failed to, to, to protect my daughter and then she got this, this disease. All right. So now I'm failing to take care of myself and now my daughter's having to go do this on her own and, you know, without me. So there was a little bit of that feeling and trying to navigate that and understand in my own head and mind that um, that I didn't have to subscribe to the the stigma that's in the world around me that men can't don't need to go to counseling and men don't need therapy and and that uh, you know if you if you express your feelings that you're not really a man and and all these things. That was more the issue that I faced uh, more than anything. It wasn't so much that, because uh, my wife and I were very open and honest with each other about what we were going through, what we were feeling. And, and I could talk to her and I could still talk to her, um, you know, like, hey, this is how I'm feeling and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but for me, it was more of the, I felt bad because I, I realized that I was more letting my family down because I was, I was allowing the, the social stigmas around me to dictate whether or not I, I took care of myself. I know when you first went to the, the therapist, you actually posted on Facebook, I think, and you talked about what you were about to do and that yeah. you were going to therapy. You were accepting that you needed help and you weren't ashamed to go get that. How hard was it? First off, to post that, and what kind of reaction did you get? <laughs> All right. So, actually, the writing of the post was super easy because it came, it just kind of like flew out of my fingers. Okay. Um, it was fine until I hit the enter button. And then there was the, oh, God, what did I just do? And before I could do, actually have like a, 
a uh, a calm moment of mind to go, okay, where well, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You know, all that kind of stuff. Before I could even do that, I started getting reactions, and I was like, well, I guess I guess I can't delete it now. People have seen it. Uh, <laughs> it's out there now. Yeah, it's out there. They know about it now. Uh, and um, so the the reaction was actually very encouraging. Um, you know, I expected a couple of my buddies to call me and give me crap, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, what's up, sissy boy going to the doctor, you know, and it's something like, but that didn't happen. Uh, everybody was very encouraging. Um, uh, even my buddies that I kind of expected to pick on me were the ones that were like, Hey, you know, yeah, you need to go take care of yourself. You guys have been through a lot. I was like, this was not what I was expecting. Um, you know, and it, I come to find out, at least from my experience, now I'm sure that, that, you know, again, everybody's experience is different. But from my experience, I found that the people that I told that I was going to go to counseling and that I was doing these things were all extremely encouraging, you know, at least in my face anyway, they were extremely encouraging. And that was the important part. So I don't know of anybody that was negative. Uh, I can't think of anybody right offhand that was negative uh, about it, but I felt. I felt very supported and I felt like that if that many people were encouraging me to do it, then clearly this is something that I, that I should be doing because typically the person, the, the, the last person to realize that you need therapy is you because you have people who are trying to nicely suggest it to you all along the way. You really do, but you're not listening. You're not paying attention. And I had friends Looking back, I had friends and family members who were were encouraging me along the way that, you know, hey, maybe you need to go talk to somebody. Are you sure you don't need to talk to somebody? You know, and I was like, well, I can call you if I need to. Well, yeah, but you maybe should talk. And they don't want to say doctor, but they mean doctor or counselor or therapist along those, something along those lines. Uh, so that was my experience. It was more of the um, just kind of getting out of my own way uh, thing. And, and I, I felt very supported uh, by family and friends once I started to do it. So what do you say to people that are anti-therapist? Well, in in nice terms, um, please don't be that way. Uh, (laughs) No, you (laughs) know what? That was really nice. That was the very nice version. Uh, that was the kid-friendly <laughs> version. Uh, you know, I, I look at people who are are anti anything. Um, typically, if you're if you're anti anything, um, you know, typically it means you've gone too far in one direction. When you, if you're so vocally and violently anti something, now I say typically because there are there are things that we should all be very anti about. Um, you know. And, uh, but, you know, there, there are good therapists, there are bad therapists, there's good doctors, there's bad doctors, there's good lawyers, there's bad lawyers, you know? And so the key is, is more than, than listening to your buddy who has a, a a Google community college degree, um, because it's not even Google university that these people are going to, it's Google college, um, and community college, um, you know, Instead of listening to them and and the research, and I you know I use air quotes on mm-hmm. this, the research that they did that fits their own narrative and their own ideas about things, 
um, you know, go talk to somebody who actually has an education in the field. Go talk to somebody who, and if you're even thinking about therapy, even in the, the slightest phase, that means you need it. That means that you, there's something in you that's telling you that this is the next step of something you need to do. Now, here's the thing about therapy and the anti-therapist, because most of those people who are anti-therapist have not had a good therapist. Um, they've either not, A, gone to therapy and they've just, they've read an article, you know, uh, written on, you know, somewhere on the internet, uh, or they've had a bad experience with a therapist. Um you know, I got lucky. My therapist was very good, is very good. And, you know, um, she's not afraid to tell me when I'm wrong. She's not afraid to tell me that, you know, hey, you know, try not to look at it like that. Let's look at it like this, um, which is helpful for me because I'm a I'm a pretty straightforward, bash me over the head type of guy. You know, if if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. If I'm if I'm right, tell me I'm right. If I'm if I need to go right instead of going left, tell me, you know, and, and help me change the direction. I don't have a problem with that. I'd rather be I'd rather do it right than do it wrong. Um, so, but most of these people have not had a good experience with a therapist. So they're 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 anti therapy. They're anti counselor because they've never they had that one bad experience and they went, yep, that's it, that's all I need, and they walked away. So sometimes uh, I compare counseling to dating. It's not very often that you find the love of your life on on the first first date you had. You know, it happens for some people, but most of the time that's in a movie. Um, you know, my wife is not the first girl I dated. Uh, she's the right girl, and that counts. You know, and so it's a lot the same with with therapies uh, with a therapist. You have to have a connection with your therapist. You have to have a personality connection with your therapist. If you are, um, you know, oil and water night and day, you're with the wrong therapist. You know, uh, you don't need somebody that's going to whisper sweet nothings in your ear and, and, and tell you why you're the prettiest girl at the party. But you do need somebody who's going to be able to help you and, and direct you and somebody that you feel comfortable with, um, you know. And there's a lot of different things, you know, and depending on what your needs are, those might be different than my needs and who I find acceptable as a, as a therapist and comfortable with as a therapist may not be the same as you. It's like any other personal relationship. There are reasons why two people become friends, you know, versus these other two people, because there's the, the mash, uh, the, uh, the mashup and the, the connection between personalities. And I, I personally feel that that's the same way with when it comes to counseling and therapy. You have to write, find the one that's the right connection. And that may not happen the first try. So sometimes you have to put yourself back out there and, and find somebody else. I love the dating analogy. And I've never heard that or thought of it that way before. But it's so true because yeah. I hear people all the time that say, oh, I had a bad experience with a therapist. I'm never going back. Right. And yeah, if they had that attitude with dating or jobs or friendships mm-hmm. um it would be a very a sad of, place yeah a lot of lonely single broke people right <laughs> right we don't want that um talk to me a little bit more about where you're at now with the ptsd and how you continue to manage that i want people to know that 
things like that, you don't, you're not just okay one day and it's gone and everything's great. So will you talk about that process? Sure, absolutely. And, and you're right. Um, it, it's not a one and done thing. It's not like you go to the therapist and you go, oh, I have PTSD. All right, that answers that. All right, see you again, never. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's not the case. Typically, there's a lot to unpack behind that. Um, and as you unpack those things, it opens up other things and you have to deal with those things. Uh, and, and so, um, to use a Shrek analogy on you, onions have layers, ogres have layers, Tim has layers. Um, you know, and so what happens is, is that as you start going through these layers, you start really understanding that this is a process. And just like anything else in life, when you're like, when you're uh, somebody's trying to get better at like baseball or softball or basketball, whatever the sport is, there's going to be days where they're, they're just not doing it so good. You know, they might feel like Michael Jordan one day, and they might feel like the kid who got cut out of his high school basketball team the next day, you know, and that's part of the process is that you're, you're learning what, you know, what ways that you have to do these certain things here to make this feel better. And that takes time. So for me, I went to therapy uh, pretty solidly for, I think about three months, every, every Friday for three months. And I got to a point where I felt like I could, I could put my, my big boy boots on one at a time and I could move forward and that I had a pretty good handle on it. And I told my counselor, I said, well, I'll be back. I'm sure of it when I need it. That was actually today. Uh, today was my first time in almost a year being back to my counselor uh, because I have some things I need to unpack. I have feelings coming back and things coming back and things that I, I, I can't, I'm having a hard time processing. Um, you know, so th- those things that, that you deal with, they're always going to be there in one form or another. So going to therapy isn't like the, you know, a Mr. Clean magic eraser. It's not going to just wipe it all away and, and oh, look, it's done and I'm all better and, you know, uh, look at me go. What it is, is, is you helping you learn how to carry the baggage that you have, you know, how it's going to cause less impact to you. You know, there, you can hold, you can throw a, a suitcase over your shoulder, you know, with a, that has a strap one way. And it hurts your shoulders. You can put it on another way and it feels okay. Either way, you still have to carry the baggage, but it's how you carry the baggage that affects you moving forward. And that's what counseling does. And that's what therapy does. It helps you to be able to do that because more than likely, I'm going to have PTSD to some degree for the rest of my life in, one, in, in some form or fashion. Um, I'm always going to have to deal with that in one way or another. So uh, it's learning how to carry it, how to how to handle it, how to balance it with the you know with the rest of your your work life, your family life, your your your, your love life, everything else, uh, because it can affect all those things if you're not careful. So yeah, please don't go to therapy thinking that uh, a couple episodes, a couple chats, and I'm all good and I can move on. Um, you know that's that may happen for some. The realistic side of things, the expectation side of things, that this is a process. It's going to take a while, and you're not going to be healed of it overnight because what got you into therapy typically isn't a, a one-and-done experience. Uh, typically, there's there's multiple things that that have led you to have to be there, and you know, as it as in our case, 
it wasn't just one day in the hospital. It was 97 days in the hospital. It wasn't just one experience in the hospital. It was 97 different experiences in the hospital. So unpacking those all and, and things like that. I, I mean, I have a whole photo album of pictures that we took while we were in the hospital because I thought at the time that, you know, boy, we're, you know, we should, you know, like catalog this and make sure that we, you know, we know that we're grateful for what happened. And, you know, I still can't go back and look at the pictures. I have them. I don't think I'll ever delete them. I have pictures and videos and of people that visited and, and things like that. And um, I, on purpose, skip my Facebook memories from uh, late March to uh, about mid-July every year. I don't even look at them. I can't. Um, you know, not yet anyway. I'm hoping that one day that I can because there's some good memories in there too. Um, you know, like I would like to be able to go back in and celebrate the day that my wife, my 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 wife, my daughter rather, started walking again. Um, I'd like to be able to go back and celebrate the day where she was able to feed herself again. I can't do that yet. So, you know, uh, I'm only two years out from the experience and I don't, I don't expect that to change anytime soon, but I, I think that that's a realistic expectation is that, you know, this didn't happen in one night and there's the old saying, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. So I'm not going to, this, this issue wasn't built in one day. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be able to tear it down and destroy it in one day either. So. Is it empowering to give yourself that grace? It is. And it isn't. It's empowering to know that 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 uh, what you're going through is something that that it, it, it can't be quantified very easily, and it's it's empowering to know that that I, I'm not failing at what I'm doing because of what we've gone through and what we're what we're handling. And as a matter of fact, that's one of the things we talked about in the counseling section today. Is is you know, uh, overcoming the feeling of, of fail, you know, and that's, that's, part, that's a big part of what I, what I'm dealing with still is that there's still a lot of what I do where I feel like I, I've, I've, I'm failing my family even now and the things that I'm doing now and trying to help my family. And, um, my wife's too kind to say, to, to say anything otherwise, but, and that's fine. Um, but you know, it's, but then there's also the, the, the the negative side of your brain that wants to look at that and as as much as you want to empower yourself through it the negative side of your brain wants to tell you that suck it up you're a hockey player you know just you know just suck it up move forward come on and that's that's kind of the the the, the tough juxtaposition of all of this is that you know that it's it's empowering and you know that it's it's so good to have that tucked in your back pocket to know that this isn't something that's going to be overcomable is that a word? It is, it is now. It is now. All right. We're adding that. That's All right. right. So, uh, but e- even if it's not a word, uh, something that's <laughs> overcomable that, that you're dealing with and you're working with, it's, and it's good to know that I started here, but maybe I'm only got a couple little bit, couple inches forward, but I'm still forward. And that's something that you can tell yourself and you can show yourself and you can see progress. And so that's very empowering. But where I said where it isn't is that at the same time, your mind wants to tell you that, well, yeah, you started here, but you're only here. You should be way over there by now. 
Um, and that's just part of our own imperfection. We want to expect perfection when it's impossible. So we know that therapy is one way that you have worked on your wellness and your podcast. So what else do you do to quiet that side of your brain that's just telling you to suck it up? You're a hockey player. Uh, <laughs> it goes back to me being a nerd. Um, Love it. I grew up playing video games. Okay. I'm a 44-year-old man who plays Xbox with his kids. Um, and I absolutely, for me, uh, video games have always been the way that I quieted my mind. Um, because it allowed me to focus on, like, you know, I could focus on the video game. I could focus on what I'm doing on ha at hand, whether I was playing a sports video game, a, a role-playing game, a shooter, whatever, you know, because I could immerse myself in that for that time being. And I have my headphones on, so I'm in an immersive world with sight and sound and, and all these things. Um, and in fact, uh, so while we were at the hospital, uh, the, the, the hospital that we stayed at had a uh, hotel of sorts attached to it uh, so that you know because the rehabilitation hospital and these people who are at the rehab hospital are there for, for for long periods of time and so it's not uncommon especially with parents of small children who are in the hospital for them to want a place to stay and so we got a room at the hospital um, and had a nice TV in there and a, at a table and you know, I had my boys bring my bring me my Xbox because at night when when my wife and daughter because I got to a point where uh, I I could no longer sleep in the room. Um, to this day, I don't like the sound of beeping things because I would hear the beeps of her machines and things. Like, and I that's I still struggle with that. I have to open the microwave door before it gets to the end and it starts beeping. I don't like that. Um, it's a little quirk I have developed, but I'm working on it. Um, but even in the hospital, I had my, I brought my Xbox in and I, I played Xbox at the hospital because I, it was my way to unwind from the day and, and de-stress and, you know, and, and relax. So, but yeah, uh, very nerdy superhero sci-fi video games for the most part is where I go that or uh, music. So I, I'll, you know, same thing. I put my headphones on, I kind of dive into the world of music and just, you know, um, <laughs> in fact, I started collecting vinyl again last year, and uh, I, in the last couple months, I was actually able to start listening to an album again that I couldn't listen to for a while because I used to listen to it at night while I was in the hospital room with her because so I didn't have to hear the machines. I would have my headphones in, and I would listen to this album because it was I found it very soothing and relaxing, um, but I just, I just got that back uh on uh, uh on vinyl so i'm very excited about that and i i found that i could actually uh uh start listening to it and and enjoying it and so it was kind of the f the first time i put it on i put the record on i got i think through halfway through the first song and had to take it off i'm like okay not yet but it's by the way it's uh by beck uh, his his album morning phase um so I, I've, I've, you know, I've gotten to the point where I can listen to that again. And um, if Beck ever hears this episode, I, I, you know, if there's ever a chance for him to hear it, I want him to know that that album uh, I find to be 
extremely beautiful, extremely relaxing. And that's why I started listening to it at the hospital. And although it, I couldn't do it for a while and it had negative in memories for a little bit, it's extremely impactful on my life. And thank you for making the album. And if you guys haven't listened to Beck's Morning Phase, um, you know, don't quit listening uh, to Claudia just yet. But when she's done, go find Beck's Morning Phase and listen to that. I love it. I also connect with music <laughs> quite a bit, and it has saved me on many occasions. So I love hearing that. Tell me a little bit of wellness advice that you would give out. Well, I always preface every bit of wellness advice with, I'm not a doctor. Uh, nor do you play I, one on TV. Nor do I play one on TV. And I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express mm -hmm. last night. So um, the first piece of wellness advice I always give everybody is don't ever look up your symptoms online. That you will have yourself convinced that you belong in a mental institution or that you're going to die uh, within you know the next 30 days nothing good comes from that and that honestly and that too goes to if you're if you're a parent of a child and you're or you're getting a diagnosis for yourself uh, when you hear that that uh, disorder or disease name get come across the doctor's lips and you can't pronounce it and you don't know what it means and you're still trying to figure it out the hardest thing that you will do is not allow yourself to pull your phone out of your pocket and go to Google and try typing it in. And think, we did that. And that was one of the biggest mistakes that we ever made uh, because the first things that you will find about any disorder or disease are only the negative things. Not that there's really good things that come from Guillain-Barre syndrome. Don't get me wrong, but, but yeah, don't, don't, don't Google uh, your symptoms or, or if you know what the disorder or the disease is, uh, get, get your information from qualified sources. Um, it doesn't matter what your uncle Bobby or Billy Ray says, um, or if they got a cousin down you know, around the corner who, who can give you some good advice. Oh, yeah. One of our biggest problems I think that we face in 2021 is disinformation, uh, whether it's about, uh, you know, COVID, whether it's about, you know, anything else, everybody has an opinion, everybody's an expert and, you know, the biggest advice I can give anybody is don't get your advice from, um, you know, discredible. No, that's not a word either. Uh, from bad sources. Let's just go from bad sources. <laughs> get your get your information from credible sources. We are just making up all kinds of words today, I, and if, I if, love it. If you hang out with me long enough, you're going to get a whole new vocabulary. Um, you know, and then the other thing I always tell people too is that uh, if you're even thinking about it, you know, wondering whether or not you need counseling or you need therapy or anything along those lines. And I said this earlier, even today, if you've thought about it, that means you need it. If you're thinking about it, if you're wondering, go find the counselor that's right for you. You know, there's, there's not a Tinder app for counselors, but there should be, uh, you know, but, uh, but until then, until that time, you know, go find the one that's right for you. There are, there are many amazing counselors out there and therapists out there who really care and who want to do a good job and who just want to help people. Uh, so if you find the one who's only there for a paycheck, you don't have to keep going back. You know, if that's all they're there for, and you'll know pretty quickly, mm -hmm. um, you know, but, but find the one who's there 
because it's a job that they love and it's what they want to do and they want to help people. So those are my always my two biggest pieces of advice. And could we also have somebody create the therapist tender for us? Because yeah, I think yeah, if yeah, if you got yeah. if you got a yeah exactly if you've got a friend out there who's who's good at app creation and we can get the doctors and the therapists to agree to to be on something where we can you know rate them and you know swipe right. Let's do this. Is I love it. Right it. Or, or is it swipe left? I don't know. I don't. I've never uh, been on the app, so I got nothing for you. I don't utilize it. I am also married, so. Yeah, I'm swipe. I don't know. All I know is it's swiping and there's a direction. I don't know if it's right or left. <laughs> right, right. I think left is bad. I don't know. People will let us know though. People will oh, now you can be sure of that. Yeah. Let us know. Give me your number one piece of relationship advice. Talk. Honestly, it, it seems really something I I said earlier that sometimes the the greatest piece of advice is are simple. Sometimes even one word talk you there be surprised how many things you can work out if you're willing to have an honest conversation and you're willing to have an open conversation and talk with your partner you know because that's what they are that's what's you know when you enter into a relationship uh whether it's just a relationship it's a marriage whatever it may be um you're living together you're a partnership 50 percent of everything that you should be doing in life is for that other person you know, and so as that, that the other 50% that's supposed to be making you whole, talk with them about what you're going through. Have a conversation with them about where you're at in life. But you also have to realize that you can't put your expectations upon them when you're having that conversation. And, I, you know, that was one of the things I had to learn early on in my marriage. And I will say this till the day I die. My wife's a saint. She deserves wings and a halo. Uh, she put up with me for far too long. Uh, before I caught on to that. Um, but your expectations are your expectations. And and now that doesn't mean that there aren't certain th- guidelines or things that you want a person to be able to meet. And that's a completely okay to have expectations of those things. But when I say your expectations are your expectations are, sometimes your expectations are that when by the time you get home from work, there needs to be food on the table. Well, sometimes that might just be a ham sandwich. Uh, and that's still okay. You know, there, there's different expectations for different folks, and that's a kind of a dated analogy, but that's the best I can do for you right now. But, you know, don't don't put your ideals upon somebody else, but be willing to have the conversation where you can find a middle ground. Maybe uh, your partner doesn't like to cook. You know, maybe maybe they work from home, but they don't like to cook, or they're not, or they're not good at cooking, you know, do you, are you going to put that on them that they have to make a meal every night and, and, you know, put that strain and stress on the relationship? Or are you going to, or are you going to have a conversation to, to bridge that gap and, and find a way to, to make and bring your other 50% in to make you whole and to make them whole. So, you know, it's, yeah, just have a conversation, be willing to talk. I love it. And the other thing I love that you said is an honest conversation and putting out what you need but being willing to hear and make that compromise as well yeah yeah absolutely you know the the thing about having an honest conversation is that sometimes when you you get responses back it's not the response you want to hear and sometimes it can be hard to hear that but if you're going to have an honest conversation where where you're able to move forward and you you have to have those conversations that sometimes sting a little bit 
because sometimes somebody's got to, you know, put you out on blast for your crap. And so, you know, if, you know, if you needed to, if they need you in the relationship to be here and you're only, you know, or you need, they need you here, but you're only here. What can you do to, to bridge that gap? What is it, you know, does, does their expectation need to come down a little bit? Does your output need to go up a little bit? You know, there's, there's different things that can kind of all apply to that, but you have to be willing to hear their response and you have to be willing to not, you know, kind of, kind of turn the, the tide on them and, and go after them because, oh, I can't believe you said that. Sometimes you're going to hear some stuff, but sometimes it's the stuff you need to hear. We have talked about some pretty heavy things today, so I want to lighten it up before I sure. let you go. Now, I'm looking at you, and I think that if you were to have a tattoo, it would be Star Wars related. So, tell me your thoughts on tattoos. I think they're super cool. I think they're awesome. I think that if you uh, have one and you're, uh, I don't understand uh, the ones where people, you know, it just looks like they they went to a tattoo artist and just let them loose on their arm. Um, you're just random, all these random things. And, and if, you know, I've never, I've never been a tattooer. I have zero. I'm a, I'm a giant sissy afraid of needles. Um but, you know, like my, my brother has a ton, both of my, two of my brothers have a bunch of tattoos uh, and they all mean something. So I know, I understand that there's, there's reasons why they get these certain tattoos. And, and I'm sure that, you know, in, you know, in many ways you are the butterfly that's, you know, emerging from your, the cocoon of your belly button. Um, but I don't, I don't always get it. I don't always understand it. Um you know, I, I looked very seriously when I was about 18 at getting a tattoo. I was at a tattoo parlor. I sat down in the chair. The second he turned on the, the needle, the done, I'm gone. See you later. Bye. I couldn't do it. Uh, threw some money at him. Said, thank you for your time. Sorry to, sorry to, to, uh, uh, tie up your chair. Here's some money. Thanks for your day. Um, but yeah, it would probably be star Wars related in some way. Actually, um, the the other one that I had thought about getting it because when I was eighteen it was going to be a really cool uh, Celtic armband because those weren't popular at all no. and uh, nobody else had one <laughs> not even not even one the other thing that I thought about getting um, uh, was a um, uh, the clada on my chest the Irish mm-hmm. clada uh, with all of my with my wife's uh initials and birth date and then my three children's initials and birth date kind of encircling around it i was going to put that on my chest and i looked at that um and i went nope not going to do that but instead i made it as a design because that's what i do for the day job i'm a logo designer uh and uh i sell silly shirts on the internet and that's what i do and so i was like well that's what we're going to do so yeah Skip the tattoo, just made a made a sticker out of it. <laughs> I love that though. So you know there are machines now that really don't make that noise. Yeah, there's still a needle attached. There is. There is. So I, it's not the the noise is, is was definitely part of it. But yeah, no thanks on the needle portion. Were you literally in the chair getting ready to get tattooed? 
yeah, he was he was getting right. Yeah, had had like the the pre thing down on my arm mm-hmm. for the, the stencil. Yeah, the stencil was on my arm, and we we were ready to go. And yeah, and that was your Celtic. Was that going to be your Celtic? Tattoo? Oh yeah, I was gonna have a. I was gonna have this killer Celtic armband. I was gonna be so super cool, like every other you know eighteen year old in nineteen ninety seven. So. <laughs> I think you're still super cool, Tim, even without (laughs) (laughs) your Celtic armband. Well, Tim, where can people find you if they want to know more, want to join in on your nerdiness, want to listen to your podcasts? Well, um, so the audio version of Focus on Forward, Funny Science Fiction, and Pop Culture Addicts can all be found on any of your favorite audio podcast destinations. So that's that's not a problem. If you want to talk with me personally, uh, the best way to do it is on Twitter. Um, I have a Facebook account, but I'm becoming less and less friendly with Facebook. Um, (laughs) I got... I, I got put in a pseudo jail on Facebook recently <laughs> uh, for quoting a 1980s movie, and it was uh, I was told that I was inciting violence. So they Facebook removed my content and put me in jail for 24 hours. And I said, "Well, that's so." I stopped using Facebook as, as much. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm still an admin on a on a on a big Facebook group, so I, I still use Facebook for that and try to communicate with them. But uh, but for uh, but for the shows, if you want to talk with me about any of my shows, and I post pretty regular on Twitter for all three shows, um, pod, uh, focused on forward is at podcast FOF. Uh, funny science fiction is at funny sci-fi and pop culture addicts is at PCA pod show. Now pop culture addicts and funny science fiction both have a YouTube channel. Uh, under those names and those are video uh, interviews and we do a live show every monday night at seven o'clock eastern on youtube and we have different podcasters and everyone you know just people from wherever uh, come on and we talk nerdy with them and uh, our slogan on the show is all nerdy no dirty and uh, we try to keep it very family friendly and and so that everybody can join in on the nerdiness and then have fun and and uh yeah so, but th- those are the best ways to get a hold of me. And, and if you want to watch the shows, uh, don't forget to subscribe. Uh. <laughs> Absolutely, and I love I love the nerdiness, and I love that you embrace that and you share that with others. Yeah, you know, the, and the thing is too is that we I always tell people too. They're like, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of sci-fi podcasts out there. There are. Uh, I always say though that the thing that that separates us from the other people is that. A, we're willing to be silly and and usually are. Um, and even in our interviews, we ask a couple silly questions. We ask a couple serious questions. Um, and our goal, our whole goal is just to laugh with our guests. That's our goal. If we can make our guests laugh, we're, we feel like we're doing something good. Um, and, you know, the thing is, we always tell people, if you're looking for a deep dive on Star Wars and or Marvel Comics or something like that, those are fun, those are enjoyable, but you're not going to find them here. Uh, we don't do the deep dive. We we talk about, you know, the things we like and, you know, we go into a little bit of depth on them, but, you know, nothing that's real strong deep dive. It's it's all pretty much on the surface, having fun and just, you know, if we can giggle, we, we'll get the giggles out, so um i've just been you know we've been really fortunate with funny science fiction to talk with some of the people we've talked to and and uh you know like just a a quick plug for instance and shameless self-promotion sorry love it Um, do it 
Um, so one of my my favorite episodes that we've had uh, as of late is we we've been doing a lot with different voice actors, uh, which is cool for me because these are people that I grew up listening to, and, and they uh, you know they were um, you know voice actors for cartoons and characters and and things all kinds of stuff when I was you know uh, growing up cartoons that I watched and so for me one of the coolest ones is I I got we got to interview a gentleman by the name of Larry Kenny uh, which his name might not mean anything to you right off the bat but Larry Kenny was uh, Lionel from the Thundercats he was the head, you know, the the top. I don't want, I can't say top dog because they were cats, but he was <laughs> he was the top. He was the top kitty. Um, so that was really cool, and we got to talk with Shannon Farnan, who was the original Wonder Woman uh, in the Super Friends cartoons back in the seventies and early eighties. Uh, you know, so before Linda Carter was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and everything else, and Gal Gadot, she was she was Wonder Woman. Um, and so that was kind of cool, you know, and so we've had some really fun conversations and, and things like that. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been good smile therapy. And sometimes that is the absolute best therapy of all. Oh yeah. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you sharing your story, giving us some laughs and telling us about <laughs> your podcast where we can go find the nerdy side of Tim and have some giggles along the way. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I've I've enjoyed this. I really hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Tim as much as I did. I truly appreciate his willingness to open up about his own mental health struggles and coping with his PTSD. So remember, until next week, you are strong enough and you are worth it. Thank you for listening to the Strong Enough Podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform by searching Strong Enough. And on YouTube, we're available on the Spear Talk channel. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Strong Enough Pod. If you have suggestions for an upcoming episode or a future guest, please reach out at strongenoughpod at gmail.com. Remember, you are worth it.